With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Blog Talk Radio. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the Lord. Got miles to go before we sleep. Lawman is putting into my running, and I'm so far from my. We will not go gently. We're going to unleash hell here in December. Oh, mama, I can hear you crying. You're so scared and all alone. Hey, somebody fix this guy's buckle. I don't like play football. coming down from the gallows and I don't have very long. Welcome to another episode of The Standard is the Standard. I'm your host, Jeff Hartman, editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, and with me as always, my co-host, Lance Williams. How's it going, Lance? Hey, man, I'm doing better than the Steelers are. <laughs> well, that that doesn't take much, uh, to be honest with you, considering the fact that they're on a four-game skid, but... The magic elixir could be coming up. We're going to talk about it today. What is that elixir? The Cleveland Browns. Uh, but you know what? Uh, Lance and I were talking after the Dallas game. We talked uh, via text message a lot about, you know, what's what's really which way to approach this show. It's tough. I mean, you're looking at it like, okay, they've lost four games in a row. They're coming off a heartbreaking loss to the Cowboys where 42 seconds separated the Steelers from victory, and instead of being four and five, five and four, and uh, the Browns are coming up, and really, there's not much to talk about with the Browns. I mean, there's some things to talk about, but ultimately, it's the Browns. So we decided that we're going to talk a lot about the Dallas Cowboys game and more about the team itself, what we think uh, could be better, what we think uh, you know could improve in the upcoming weeks. So, Lance, real quick, what was your – now that the dust is kind of settled, what, what is your reaction about the Cowboys game? Do you have any silver lining to it? Um, what were your thoughts about the game afterwards? If you guys listen to this show, you know that Jeff is joy. So this is why the world has been tilted on, its, on a different axis, because Jeff has asked me, silver lining. He knows I don't have silver lining. Jeff knows I don't get down like that. I'm a pragmatist. I don't see silver lining. I saw an ass whooping that that offensive line put on that defensive line. That's what I saw. You know what else I saw? As I saw Zeke Elliott run past Sean Davis as he took a terrible angle and I watched Simmons get folded like an accordion, and Jarvis Jones becomes a scapegoat for a bad defense. This is what I saw. The trifecta. 300 to Dak, 100 rushing to Zeke, 209 all-purpose, 
and over 100 yards receiving to Dez. They got hit with the trifecta, 300, 100, 100. That's what I saw. So if you can find some silver lining in that, help me. Help me, because they need help. And the lifeline that we talked about in Bud Dupree, it better come soon, because, boy, do they need it. I, I can't give you a defensive silver lining at all. And, um, yeah, gosh, I'm still speechless, to be honest with you. Um, like you told me via text message earlier, it might have been today or yesterday, Artie Burns is a candy bar. And that's a comment that Anthony uh, uh, Brown made about, believe it or not, Brandon Boykin, wasn't it, back when he was in Philadelphia? He said Boykin is a candy bar. Um, and yeah. It, yeah. I, I don't let, let know. Let me, let me stop ahead. you, Jeff. Which particular candy bar? Is he a Twix? Is he a Snickers? No, he's a payday. Because every time you go at him, you get a payday. I think he's a payday. Yeah. A lot of nougat and a lot of nuts. He's the payday. I don't get... And we're going to talk a lot about this tonight, about the defense. I think this is going to be a very defense-dominated show. Um, I really don't understand. You, you look at the other matchups that the, the Steelers have faced, you know, the, the A.J. Green, Brandon Marshall. These are some of the high-caliber receivers that they faced already this year. And the one common denominator that's been in those games is that Ross Cockrell followed that receiver on the field. And believe it or not, outside of a, a pretty poor half against Brandon Marshall, Ross Cockrell has done a very good job against his receivers. Now, I want to know what in the hell Keith Butler was smoking that he thought, yeah, it would be cool. We'll just leave Artie Burns over there. I doubt they'll put Dez on that side of the field too much. Um, hello, this is a professional football team. They're 7-1. and one. Now they're 8-1. and one. And don't you think that they've looked at the film of Artie Burns in the film of, of him against Mike Wallace, of him against anyone else that went up against him, and said, wherever Artie Burns is on the field, we're lying Dez Bryant up there. I just don't understand that aspect of things. Artie Burns, I think, is going to be okay. I, I, I'm not the kid, the rookie. He is a kid. He's a very young rookie at that. He's very raw. He's got good size. He's got good length. He reminds me a lot of Ike Taylor a little bit. But the thing is, is that he's not there now. So everyone that's already, like, on the bus train with Artie Burns, calm down a little bit first. But I just don't get that thought process of, of not having Cockrell follow Des Bryant because there wasn't anyone else on that offense from a receiver standpoint that I was really scared about. Do you agree with that? I agree wholeheartedly. He's a snack right now. He's an app. No, he's not a snack. Let me take that back, because that would be disrespectful to snacks and appetizers. Right now, he's the four-course meal. You can get it any way you want. You get a, a, a appetizer course, you get a salad, the entree, and a dessert. You can get anything you want yeah. against Artie Burns, anything. And here's the thing, Jeff, to your point, that makes it so – Troubling for the defense is that pressure consistently. I'm going to read you some of the quarterback ratings that Pro Football Focus published about the game. And they break it down in terms of pressure and rating. No pressure plays under pressure when not blitzed, when blitzed. So 23 dropbacks of no pressure. Now he threw the ball 34 times. 23 of those had no pressure. You do the math, that's a bad percentage. Rating, 115. Plays under pressure, 11. He still had a rating of 139.1. He was even better under pressure. When not blitzed, 12 plays, 72.9. And when he was blitzed, on .0. So if you couple inconsistent pressure with a candy bar, with a payday full of nuts and nougat, and then you're going to give up a ooey-gooey 35, and we haven't even talked about the now depleted 
defensive line. Well, let, let, uh, those are great statistics. And I want to talk about something that you brought up, and that was blitzing for a second. They, they did blitz more, and they have blitzed more the last two weeks. But what you're seeing is exactly what Keith Butler had warned everyone about, and that is if we are going to blitz, if we're going to be a blitzing team, we're going to leave our back half vulnerable. And you've seen that. But here's what I don't get. I, I think back to 2015 and think back to week one. The Steelers are at New England playing the Patriots, and I'll never forget that this is probably one of the few times that when Tom Brady's in the game, I've seen him take a clean, hard shot. And the guy that hit him was Will Allen, and Will Allen was at safety, and he was, but he was in the box, and then they sent him on maybe a delayed blitz, but it wasn't very delayed. Keith Butler is sending Mike Mitchell from, I'm not joking, what it would be like center field to home plate, it seems, on this unbelievably Alex delayed Wimble. blitz. It just seems... It just seems exactly. It just seems so ridiculously stupid that if you're going to draw up a blitz, if you're going to blitz a safety or a cornerback, that you're not having them down in the box and having a, giving them a better chance at getting home and overloading maybe one side of the offensive line. I just don't see the blitz being effective all the time, but especially the type of blitz that they're sending now. I want to ask you this question, Lance, and this is something I posed um, to you the other day. I don't know if you answered it, but I wanted you to answer it on the air. And I actually did a, a quick article on it today. It was published. And that is I was trying to figure out what in the heck is the difference between the 2015 and 2016 Steelers defenses? Because, honestly, personnel-wise, they're basically the same. Uh, you look at the players that are missing. Antoine Blake, which was the Steelers, Steelers Nation's punching bag for his two years that he was really playing a significant amount. Brandon Boykin, well, we all know his story, and he ended up playing in the second half. Steve McClendon, solid nose tackle. And then you had um, Will Allen, who I just mentioned. Those are the only four players that are gone from the team in 2015, and not one of those players, in my opinion, is some world beater that, oh, my gosh, we miss him so much. Now, you might say that McClendon with the run stopping, I understand that. But other than that, I'm like, so what's the difference? This team last year sacked the quarterback 48 times, and they created 30 turnovers. Well, they've played nine games already this season. They've had, I'm sorry, this is almost funny to say, they've had 13 sacks. That's tied for 30th. Only the New York Giants have had less sacks than the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they've only created 10 turnovers. So I ask you, Lance, what is the difference? I mean, you talk about Keith Butler not wanting to air out his secondary. The secondary last year, it's not like they were that much better. I know that they have rookies in Davis and they have rookies in Burns, but Antoine Blake sucked. Brandon Boykin wasn't that great. He wasn't like the the second coming of Rod Woodson that came in and fixed everything. And William Gay's still on the team. What, what, what is your answer to that question? So you earlier in the season, we were talking about this defense, and you asked me then if I thought the defense was going to be better. And I categorically said no, specifically because of the lack of experience in the secondary. Artie Burns is a first-round draft pick, and there's an assumption that most fans make. They make the assumption that just because a guy was drafted high, that he's talented and that he can play. What we're seeing now is, Artie Burns is talented, but he can't play. And it takes time for guys to play well, get acclimated to the league, and even even so, there's no guarantee that those guys are going to be good. So Boykin was a very solid slot corner when he did play. So you add Boykin back to the secondary, that gives you some depth and some versatility with Gay and Boykin. So even if you put Boykin on the outside instead of Burns, you know, he may not be as physically gifted as Burns, but he's better than Burns on the outside and the slot. So if I added Boykin to the mix just with Cockrell, that's a much better secondary. Davis, Burns, Cockrell, Gay is not as good as Cockrell, uh, Gay, and Boykin. And then when you talk about the two safeties, safeties are, you know, they have to play with each other. They have to get a rapport. And Mitchell and Golden are starting to develop that rapport, but 
They don't have it just as yet. You know, Allen's a savvy guy, knows where to be, knows his responsibilities, is in the right place, is solid. You know, so although although those guys aren't world beaters, they are veterans. They had experience in the scheme. They were playing for Butler and both LeBeau. You know, you didn't have to worry if these guys could handle it or if they could play. You kind of knew what you had. You could scheme around it. You know, Davis and Burns are still kind of unknowns. I mean, they're still very experienced. You don't know what you're going to get. Plus, I think Tewitt played better last year, you know, alongside McClendon and Hayward. I don't think they've gotten the jump out of Tewitt that they thought. Uh, so, it, so it's different. I mean, you've got Hargrave playing snaps in subs and in base, not McClendon, and so that's a big difference there. So, you know, there's enough moving parts on the defense that the defense isn't the same. And lucky for them, Cockrell has taken the jump that they thought Tewitt would take. And they probably needed the ball to make that type of jump. You know, Cockrell played outstanding football this year. So, you know, so there is some moving pieces. It's not the same unit. Could you you imagine – what this secondary might look like if the Buffalo Bills hadn't released Ross Cockrell before the 2015 season? I mean, it would be bad. I mean, Cockrell and everyone says, well, they're always throwing. And this is the same thing that people said about William Gay in 2015. William Gay was PFF, one of the top-rated cornerbacks, and he didn't give up a touchdown for Lord knows how many games. And everyone was like, well, that's because they're always throwing at the Antoine Blake. And I think a lot of that is, well, they're always throwing this year at Artie Burns. But the secondary is rough. But you brought up the defensive line. Now, for those that live under a rock, Ken Hayward has a pectoral injury. He's done for the season. The Steelers themselves have not officially made that clarification. They have not put him on injured reserve. I think they will before this week. Uh, They already brought in uh, at least one player reportedly. Uh, for a workout, Bobby Richardson, and he was a undrafted player out of Indiana that was with the Saints in 2015 uh, to try to fill the void. I wrote an article today about, in my opinion, because this is a unique situation for the Steelers. On defense, they've gone without Cam Hayward so far this year. Now, a couple shows ago, Lance, you brought up some really good statistics about run how they stopped the run with Cam Hayward and how they stopped the run without Cam Hayward, and it is bad. Let me give you I those numbers again, coaching. Jeff. Okay, Jeff, go let ahead. Let me give you those numbers again before you continue. With Cam, teams are averaging 3.7 yards per carry. Without Cam, teams are averaging 6 yards per carry. Holy cow. So, <laughs> yeah, that's significant. <laughs> So, they tried, in my honest opinion, in those weeks, because he got hurt against the Jets, I believe, he had to sit out um, the Patriots game, the Dolphins game, and then he had to buy it. Yeah, yeah. So, they tried the next man up philosophy with covering for um, Cam Hayward. Yeah, that didn't work. Uh, Ricardo Matthews there is not close to the – There ain't no next man. <laughs> there ain't no next man up. Exactly. <laughs> so, in my opinion, the Steelers coaching staff defensively need to say, okay, there's no, the next the, – whatever you want, how do you want to say it? The guy that's going to replace Cam Hayward is not going to be as good as him. And so we can't expect to just be able to plug Javon Hargrave as a rookie, as an undersized rookie over there, we can't just, you know, Ricardo Matthews is going to just go right there and fix the problem. They need to scheme a way of finding a way of a scheme design personnel to help that defense stop the run better. Now, I think they've already started to do this, and I told you this before the show, which is they have, people say benched. It's not even benched. They basically just moved James Harrison into the starting role over Jarvis Jones. People are saying Jarvis Jones got benched, that he's done. No, they're still going to run their rotation. Jarvis Jones is still going to play, but James Harrison is going to see more snaps. But in my opinion, I mean, yeah, he is the better pass rusher. He's also better in run support. I think back to 
those games against New England and against Miami especially, when Canton Hayward wasn't in the lineup, they ran on Jarvis Jones like it was a warm knife going through butter. I mean, they seriously just kept running on that left side over and over and over again, and no one was there because Javon Hargrave was getting pushed around. Ricardo Matthews is not even close to the same caliber player. And here you got Jarvis Jones, who weighs probably as much as I do, trying to set the edge. It just wasn't working. And so I think James Harrison is going to be good for run support. But, Lance, if you were going to find a way to somehow make this a defense somewhat different, somewhat better, not better, but at least uh, stopping the run better without Cam Hayward, would you think about like a more of a four three look? Uh would you go to more of a no. three four? What would you do? No, doing? I, I I think that you gotta shift the personnel around as your base three four uh nose tackle. I think you play Matthews and you play Hargrave and subs. Uh you know, 'cause you're gonna play more snaps and subs anyway, but you know, if somebody lines up too tight in, you gotta put that beef and the colors in there because I mean, Steeler fans, go back to the first play of the game on offense by Dallas. Uh, Hargrave is on a tilt. I think he's in – I know he's in the A-gap. I don't know if he's playing. He might have been playing one technique on a tilt. And so he is on the defense's left side, tilted to the right side um, on, the, on the nose of, of the center. So he's on a tilt, I believe. I know he's in the A-gap. I don't know if he's playing um, uh, one technique or two technique, but he's on a tilt. First play of the game, to the right, the guard uh, walls off Hargrave to his right, to Hargrave's left shoulder. He walls Hargrave off and pushes Hargrave down the line of scrimmage at least a yard and a half. There's a crease that opens up like the Red Sea. First play of the game, five yards. And that happened repeatedly. Hargrave just got pushed out of there. I mean, I think he's had an okay year this year, but he seems a little light in the britches in there. And, and let me give you a stat to kind of illustrate just how bad the Steelers were in the run game. That Zeke Elliott averaged 3.5 yards before contact against the Steelers. Imagine that, listeners, yards before contact. So if he gets body lean, that's a five-yard carry, period. And that's why he averaged about 5.1 in the game. If you're getting three-and-a-half before contact, your defensive line is getting pushed around, and that was with Cam Hayward. And so the real problem when you look at this defense is that teams, because of their secondary, are going to put them in subs, nickel and dime consistently, to run on light boxes. And Tewitt and Hargrave are going to get beat up in there. If I'm Cleveland, I'm handing it off a whole lot of times on Sunday to see if the Steelers can hold up. And I saw on the site that the Steelers are out shopping for defensive in-depth, and they better be. Yeah. Now, well, you know, a friend of the show, he's been on our show before, and that's Jim Wexel. I know you're, you're tight with Jim from Steel City Insider. Um, he said it before the season started. Um, it might have been after. I'm trying to think. One of the games, it might have been preseason even, a team just ran all over Pittsburgh. And he said, you know, I'm shocked it took teams this long to realize all you have to do is throw out three wide receivers, get the Steelers in their sub packages, and then run it down their throat because they can't stop it. And I remember seeing that and I was like, man, I hope he's not right. Well, he's right. (laughs) I mean, that's exactly what teams are doing. And it's, it's working. It's absolutely working. No gym it, it, it is. If you look at the NFL, and, and you and I have watched the NFL long enough, it is a copycat league. So if, if something works for one team, the next team you face is going to do the same thing, and then the next team that you face is going to do the same thing until you stop it. And so the Steelers now, 
unfortunately, are going to be shorthanded from a personnel standpoint, and they're going to have to try and stop it. The problem is, or the question is, is can they, and I don't think they can, but thankfully they have the magic elixir coming up, and that's the Cleveland Browns, because if you watch the Browns, they are bad. But we're going to get to that in a second. I do have a silver lining, though, because although it was bad, it was bad, and there's no way around it. That's just the best word to describe how that game played out. I thought the Steelers' offense looked good. It resembled what we all thought we were going to see when we talked about the offense in terms of spreading the ball around, good timing on the routes, the plays that were developing. There was only a few times that I really questioned play calling decisions that were made. I thought that it was a well-played, well-called game by Todd Haley. That was probably one of the best performances I've seen from Ben Roethlisberger in a long time. He was efficient. He got rid of the ball. He made good decisions. Um, If there's a silver lining for me is that the offense started to kind of take shape. The question, the biggest question with this offense is, are they going to be able to continue that? Now, my question for you, Lance, and I'm going to, there's going to be an article posted tomorrow, uh, is I think that the Steelers' offense could be a spark for the entire team, and I think it can start and end with the team using more no-huddle looks, letting Ben Roethlisberger call the plays. And some people might say I'm crazy, but ultimately, my theory is, and I, I, I just think back over and over again to the last drive. The Steelers get the ball back under two minutes, and Roethlisberger performs a brilliant two-minute drill, which ends in the fake, the fake spike touchdown to Antonio Brown. And hindsight's always 20-20. You say, well, they scored too quick. But I just think that Roethlisberger has, I think Roethlisberger has earned the right to be that field manager, that field general, that, that that's what they always call Tom Brady, or I'm sorry, Peyton Manning. I feel like he's earned the right to be able to call his own plays. And I think it might just be the, the kind of the missing link for the defense and or the offense. So what are your thoughts? Do you think that that's something that would help the team, or do you think that that's going to just air out their defense even more if you have a quick three and out or something like that? They need help everywhere. You know, Every idea can be unearthed and scratched at this point. But, but Jeff, before I give you my thoughts on it, did you like my uh, Nostradamus? Did you like that? <laughs> yeah, I thought, I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> but anyway, let me, before I get into my point, let me give you one more number here. And you guys know I'm a Carnegie Mellon guy, so I, I like to support what I see by some numbers that could really detail it. And, and so pro, pro Football Focus also, or, 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 yeah, Focus also gave a stat. We talked about the Zeke Elliott stat that he was averaging 3.5 yards before contact. To contrast that with Le'Veon Bell, one yard before contact, and only averaged 3.3 yards per game in the game. Now, if you guys have watched Dallas, you know Dallas is not a good run defensive team. Not a good defensive team overall. And, in fact, I know a lot of you guys are fantasy guys, but, you know, Dallas was the number one fantasy defense in, uh, that, you know, in, again, for running backs. And so it's not a good run defense. And by calling the plays, Ben is going to pass it more, and he's going to open things up. And I think what we can see by now after nine games is this running, this offensive line is not the best run-blocking group. I think it is an outstanding offensive line when it comes to pass protection. And we saw the cavernous difference between an elite offensive line and a very good one in this game. Dallas is, is elite. They're elite in pass, and they're elite running the football. The Steelers are very good in pass pro, not so good in running the football. And I think the primary reason why they have not run it well this year is the Steelers do not have a consistent vertical threat to get a safety out of the box. With that being said, I think that all lends itself to Ben calling the plays, this being a pass to set up the run offense. They start opening it up and trying to score points. 
because the only thing that's going to help out the candy bar is a whole bunch of points on the scoreboard. This defense needs a bunch of points to eliminate a dimension on offense, meaning the running game, so they can pin their ears back and struggle to get pressure. You know, the funny thing is, though, is he, he said it, he talked about um, using the pass to set up the run. And when you say that on certain avenues, certain, then, you know, Twitter, Facebook, people act like you just talked about their mother in a bad tone. It's the modern-day <laughs> National Football League. It's okay to say, you know what, we're going to need to set up this running game by, by throwing the football. And they've done it before. And in my article, I, I go back to 2013. They start the year off 0-4. They had that debacle over in London against Minnesota. And it looked like everything was going to hell in a handbasket. And what saved that offense and that team, essentially, in game, they were a 42-yard field goal away from the playoffs, finished 8-8, eight eight, was the no-huddle offense. It wasn't that the offense wasn't playing well. They were very inconsistent. So they said, you know what, let's go no-huddle. And it wasn't always – I think this is, again, a mis, misconception about the no-huddle offense. Everyone thinks, oh, no-huddle, they're running up to the line of scrimmage, they're snapping the ball quick. Not, it's not Oregon, the Oregon Ducks offense. It's basically you try to find a mismatch, you don't allow, allow the defense to substitute. And so Ben Roethlisberger is at the point in his career, and if he's not at the point in his career, he'll never be at the point in his career where he can do that every single time, every single drive, know what to call, and I don't think that he would be as pass-happy as you think. Um, in the past, going back especially to 2013 when they used the no-huddle a lot, they ran the ball a lot in that, those tests. Now, I do think that they ran, they were a better running football team then, but I think that it would be pretty even. I think that he would have called a pretty even game between pass and run, but I just think that it's time for the Steelers to try and do something that is Something on, like you said, you you put it best. Offense and defense, there are issues. Offense and defense, there needs to be some change happening. And so defensively, well, we're going to talk about those changes in a second. But offensively, I think Kobe Hamilton needs to play more because Sammy Coates, who was limited in practice again today, it was reported that he had a sec, he had a second fracture in his hand. It's not just the one finger. His hands jacked up. Okay, and so when you have a receiver that has two broken fingers and, and had a cut that had to have stitches to be repaired, that's not – he, he might basically just say he's a special teams guy for the rest of the year. It's just the, the, the nature of the beast, unfortunately. So Kobe Hamilton needs hey, to play Jeff. more. Eli hey, Rogers, thanks. What? What? Doesn't even matter with Coach. I mean, he caught balls with his pecs anyway. <laughs> as long as his chest doesn't hurt, he can catch the ball. He caught him off of his chest anyway. But hey, that gets in the side. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. He's a body <laughs> catcher. <laughs> you know, he, he's an absolute body catcher, but your point is well taken. So, I mean, if I'm going to make changes, I'm putting, I'm putting Kobe Hamilton out there more, especially in three wide receiver sets. I'm glad to see that Eli Rogers has kind of woken up again because he is a talented player. He can really work the middle of the field well. Great route runner. Um, you saw in his touchdown, it was a great route that he ran. It wasn't the best thrown ball by Ben Roethlisberger, but it was a great route. Um, and Ladarius Green proved that he is, you know, working his way back. He had a couple big catches on that in the game, and, and especially the drive, uh, the last drive to score that touchdown. So um, for the Steelers offense, it's pretty cut and dry. Now, let's go to the defensive side quickly. Um, a lot of people want they, – they just I think they want change just for the sake of change. But the problem is is that what are you going to change on defense? Like, that's what I keep telling people on Twitter. Like, what, what are you going to change? Like, is Jarvis Jones being benched going to magically change a lot of stuff? No, it's not. If you're a realist, you realize it's not. But what are you going to do, put William Gay back on the outside and then – Sean Davis in the slot, is that going to really fix anything? No. I mean, are there any tangible changes, Lance, that you can see on the defense that could actually make an impact? And I'll even give you the layup of Bud Dupree's return, which I think will happen this week. 
Look, man, just trying to find answers is like looking at pundits' faces on CNN when Donald Trump got elected. They didn't have the answers. There ain't no answers. The answer is score 30 and hold on. That, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, I mean it, and it goes back to a lot of things. They missed on some guys. Like, they're, they're, they're guys, their first-round draft picks aren't as slam they used to be. Um, I don't know if it's a good team fit for what they want to do. I mean, they just don't have the talent. And keep, people keep saying talent, talent, talent. The, the talent is not there on that side of the ball. I mean, there isn't one guy that, you know, in, in all due respect to Cam, Cam's a warrior, but, you know, Cam is not a guy that you're game planning against, that, that okay, we got to circle Cam. We've got to have a plan everywhere Cam is. There's nobody on that defense. I mean, right now, they should probably play a little more shell coverages, cover four, cover two, to help Artie Burns out to eliminate big plays. Because believe it or not, I, I believe Dallas only had two red zone, you know, two red zone attempts or, or, or red zone possessions. They hit the Steelers on a bunch of big plays. You know, the, the screen play, the, the game-winning TD, the Dez Bryant 55-yard uh, pass reception on third and 11. They hit the Steelers with big stuff. You know, they weren't necessarily – they didn't have a lot of red zone trips. And they were converting third downs as well, keeping the Steelers' offense off the field, particularly in the third quarter and later in that ball game. But, you know, I, I, would, I, would, I would rotate a safety more to help Artie Burns out. And I would travel with Cockrell on number one receivers. So if it were me – in, in, in the game against Cleveland, I don't want to. I guess I'll just say it now. We'll talk about the game anyway and break it down. I think Cockrell should travel with Pryor, and if he doesn't, they have to keep the safety over top of Artie Burns. I think they have to go back to a real bid not break approach, try to keep everything in front of them, and then try to play really solid in the red zone. I mean, I mean, I think well, yeah, that's I mean, the approach please. for them. No, I, I agree with you. And I look at it and I say, this is the second week now, and everyone's been pumped because they're blitzing more. And it's the second week that they've been killed by the big play. You go back to week nine against Baltimore. How did they lose the game? It all started with Mike Wallace's 95-yard quick slant that turned into a touchdown. And that was on a blitz, you know, which is not a surprise. Now they did have the, the block punt, but then you go to Dallas, you take away the uh, you take away those plays you mentioned the screen pass that went for eighty plus the you know the big runs by Ezekiel Elliott you take those away they they were the typical Steelers bend don't break units and that's that's okay because with the Steelers offense it's kind of like the team is built around the fact that you're okay in that just don't give up the big play so again people want to blitz more. Well, you're going to get caught with fire because, basically, you blitz more and you're leaving guys like Artie Burns hung out to dry. So, we got a lot. Like you said earlier, I can't agree with you more. There's no answers. There's no flipping answers for this team. (laughs) It really is a – well, I should say from a defense. I think offense, there are some answers. But from a defensive standpoint, I mean, you might as well just scratch your head and say, I have no clue. But – Let's talk about this Browns matchup. This is a big game for a lot of reasons. And for the Steelers, I think that it would be a good game for them to get this dirty, this nasty taste out of their mouth. Uh, Everyone was hyped up for that that, uh, Dallas game, and and obviously the way that it ended was heartbreaker. So they go to Cleveland. They're calling for bad weather, talking about highs in the 30s, windy, chance of snow, typical Cleveland crap. Um, defensively, we talked to, you talked, just talked a little bit about it. What are your keys to victory for the Steelers coming up in this Sunday's Week 11 matchup? Let me bust into my rhyme and big up to a tribe called Quest came out with their first album. 
in the last 18 years. Outstanding album. And big up the tribe again. Here's my rod. If you want to put out the fire, stop Terrell Pryor. The Browns flat out are terrible on offense. But I said that about the Ravens. And they're probably about as bad as the Ravens on offense. I think honestly, they're two really bad offenses. Cleveland's offense doesn't do anything well. They're ranked 27th passing, 22nd rushing. They only average 17 and a half. Good thing for the Steelers, they're giving up 30 a game. They're not a good football team, period. All the Steelers have to do is keep a safety atop Terrell Pryor and make anybody else beat him. Barton is okay. Steelers are doing an okay, okay against tight ends. He's not great. Uh, Corey Coleman is solid. He's averaging 17.8 yards per catch. If, if it were me, I'd play two deep safeties for a majority of the game and try to handle the running game with seven and just try to make it a uh, – and try to take away those two vertical threats. I mean, that's what I would do. I would, I would not get Artie Burns locked up in one-on-one coverage against Terrell Pryor. If that's the case, they're going to take it. He's going to beat the payday the candy bar, a.k.a. Twix, a.k.a. Little Snickers, a.k.a. Milky Way. He's going to get it if they do that. So I say play two high safeties consistently, play two man and subs, and just try to stop the running game with seven. Really make the Browns run the, game, run the ball, try to neutralize that because they can't run it and they're not consistent running it. And I think as bad as the Steelers may be up front in their front seven, I think they can handle Cleveland's running game. Make and put the onus on the young quarterback. No, excuse me. Put the onus on the running game and make them beat you that way. Don't give the young quarterback easy one-on-one reads by blitzing or leaving Artie Burns out in the night. If you do that, you can put out the fire and, again, stop Terrell Pryor. Yeah, I mean, this really should be an easy assignment for this defense. It would be a great time to to see them get on the field, be as close to dominant as this defense is capable of being, and really just get back on track. Because what people are also forgetting is that right after this game, they have a quick turnaround, and they're playing on Thanksgiving night against the Colts. And so if there's a game where you want to kind of get in, get the job done, and get the hell out of there, it's this Sunday at 1 o'clock. And I have a question for you, but I want to talk about the offense first. So offensively, um, I'm glad to hear in today Roethlisberger talk to the media about um, the fact that he's preparing for the poor weather. He's practicing with a glove on his throwing hand all week. He's expecting the wind, and so he uses that to get a little extra spin on the football. It makes a lot of sense. He's done it before. He's from Ohio. He knows what he's doing, but he's preparing for it, which I like. Um, and that could hinder the offensive game plan, though. If it's really windy, that's, that's hell for a passing attack. So you're going to have to run the football. Like we talked about earlier, that's not necessarily the Steelers' forte. So if I'm the offensive guru, if I'm the Todd Haley, if I'm Ben Roethlisberger, I'm going and saying, look, Let's utilize our short passing game as an extension of the running game and help us move the ball quickly and then open up, soften up that defensive front, allow get those eight defenders out of the box, and then we're able to run the ball with Le'Veon Bell. It's amazing how, and they go back to 2012, 2013, how big the bubble, wide receiver bubble screen was as a part of their offense and how it's basically non-existent now. Um, they really only run it. Sometimes I think if you were to go back and to, to chart when they run those plays, it's one number one is always Antonio Brown. Without Martavis Bryant, they never really run those. So it's always the Brown. Um, and they always run those on first down, typically when they just need to move the football. Think if they've had back-to-back three and outs. They just want to get some positive yardage. They want to stay on time. I expect them to look for that, especially if the weather's bad. Um, all, other than that, I think that the Steelers, it might be time offensively to just play smart. 
don't take the extra gamble. And if you score a touchdown, sometimes it's okay to just kick the extra point. We haven't talked about the two-point conversions yet. And aggressiveness, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. But sometimes points are points, period. And I know the Steelers were great, but even Ben Roethlisberger said the other uh, a couple of weeks ago when they asked him about going for two, he said, well, you have so many plays, and it just seems like maybe because they've gone for two so many times that maybe they've run through their allotment of plays from that area of the field, and maybe it's time to just get Boswell out there, kick the extra point, take your seven. And, you know, you think back to other teams, most teams don't take that gamble as much. So, you know, you look at Bill Belichick and the Patriots, they are always kicking the extra point, rarely ever unless the situation calls for it to they go for two. Um, so play smart football. It's not a game where you want to take a lot of risks. You don't want to – I wouldn't run a fake punt or a fake field goal in this game unless you absolutely have to. You should be able to beat the Browns without the gift, without the two-point conversions, without that other stuff. So play smart football. And then lastly – is just don't turn it over. Don't turn it over. Le'Veon Bell's been getting a little loose with the football. He had a fumble against Dallas, although it wasn't recovered by the, the uh, Cowboys. Uh, so you can't have that back-breaking turnover. These games sometimes are, are you know, decided by those stupid mistakes. I, I wrote this in AFC North recap that was published early this morning. This Browns team might not be good from a record standpoint, but I'll tell you what. They play hard for Hugh Jackson. They have been in a lot of football games. They should have beaten the Miami Dolphins earlier this year. If their kicker could make a really short, I think it was like a 35-yarder, they would have beaten the Dolphins. They they blew a 20-point lead on the Baltimore Ravens. And even on Thursday Night Football in Week 10, they had a lead going into the second half. Now, it was only 7-6, to but they were right in that game. This is not going to be a cakewalk, but I think the Steelers' offense, if they play smart, play smart, be well-prepared, Focus on the details, they'll be just fine. Um, my question for you, though, Lance, is I think everyone was expecting the Steelers to win this game. Judging by where they are, four and five, losers of four straight games, does how they win matter, or is it just matter if they win the game? I've been asking people this a lot this week, and I've had mixed results. Some people are saying, no, they need to blow them out. They need to make a statement. And some are just saying, look, you get a W, you get a W. It doesn't matter what it looks like. What are your thoughts? Uh, my question is, uh, would Hillary Clinton supporters have cared had she won by one vote? <laughs> Probably not. Just win. Just win the damn game. Like, come on, fans. Stop getting green. Your team just lost four in a row. I wouldn't care if they won two to zero. Just win the damn game. I mean, that, that's where they are now. We are in a four-game losing streak in a 16-game NFL season, and you've lost a quarter of the season in a row. Just win a damn game. That's it. Go out, get the dub, and start stacking them. Don't worry about what it looks like. Just need to get one. That's it. And on the offensive side of football in this game, I'd like to see – a lot of 11 personnel to spread Cleveland out, and if they're going to run the ball, run the ball against Cleveland and their sub packages where we can get lighter boxes. Shelton's going to be tough to move inside. Do not run out of, uh, you know, a two tight end set. Uh, I don't think that's the set to run out of when Cleveland's going to be heavy because I don't think they're going to run it effectively in those sets. Maybe if they flex the, the tight ends out, and with Green and Jesse James, you might be able to flex those guys out in the slot and have two wide receivers to the outside of those guys running those times. So run the ball against light box if you're going to run the ball. I'd like to see the running game start to get better. So I just want a dub and the running game to start getting better. The, the defense is what it is. There's no misconceptions there. It's bad. You know, so whatever. Just start playing a little better offense, particularly in the case of the running game. So, so, so that can start going because they're going to have to rely on that offense if this is going to be what they want it to be. Okay, so 
Let's talk predictions. I want to know the score. I want to know what you think. Predictions for this game. Go ahead. I predict that if Cleveland wins, uh, it's going to be hell in Pittsburgh. They're going to purely dump up the Browns. They're going to beat the Browns up. The only thing that's going to keep the Browns in the game may be the West. But if they can secure the football and not turn it over, they're going to beat up the Browns. I think they're going to try to take it all out on the Browns. Now, that might not mean 35-7, to 7, but I think it's going to be a dominant win for the Steelers. I'm not going to give you a score. I'm just going to say they're going to win. You shouldn't be okay. listening to what I say anyway in terms of because me and Jeff have been awful on the show this year. Hey, hold, hold the phone. Speak for yourself. Last week against the Cowboys, I did predict the Steelers win. I said 38-35. I was pretty close to the final score. I had it wrong. 35-30, that's not too far off. So, uh, speak yeah, I, said I, said 27, I, I think I said 27-24 win. I was close for a while. I was like, oh, I'm kind of close if they kicked the <laughs> field goal and not go for two, like, uh, seven times in a game. Yeah, I think that this game, the Cleveland game, is going to be close, closer than people think, especially early. The weather is going to play a role. I see the Steelers winning a lower-scoring affair than people may think. I'm going to go on a limb and say the Steelers win this game. We'll say 23-13, to 23-13. So it's, it's a sizable margin of victory. It'll appease the fans. And, and then, they like I said, you get the win, you get the hell out of there, and you start preparing for the Indianapolis Colts um, on Thanksgiving night. Now, I can't end the show. I want to know what your thoughts were with the two-point conversions. That was obviously a huge talking point. Everyone is always pointing to the, well, you know, if they would have kicked all those extra points instead of going for two, well, yeah, it's easy in hindsight to always look back. At the same time, if they make a couple of those two-point conversions, it puts the Cowboys in quite a precarious situation. So what were your thoughts on the way that the team, and more importantly Mike Tomlin, handled two-point conversions? You know what? Had they tackled Zeke Elliott on an 83-yard screen, we might not be talking about this. And I say this to the fact that people have a problem with the two-point conversions because they didn't convert it. I mean, it's a result. It's a results call. I don't think it's a bad thing to go for two points. <laughs> but you know, I see where people are can be more traditionalist. And have an issue. Two of the two of the four he had to go he had to go for because they messed up the other two. Uh, I don't really have a problem with. It. I have a problem with their execution on the plays because the plays were basically busted at the snap. They really weren't plays that had a good chance of being converted in the first place. So I I, I, I more I take more issue with the execution on the two point plays than the two point plays themselves. I don't really have a problem with it as as a tactic. I don't think you should overdo it per se. Um, execute better, and we're not talking about it. Well, you know, here's here's my thing, and, and a lot of people <clears throat> normally when they they go for the first one, I have no problem. The Steelers are, have been very good in this area for the last few years. I have no problem with them going for it there, but then. All of a sudden, the second time goes and it comes around, I'm thinking to myself, this Cowboys offense is a nightmare matchup with the defense. Therefore, I was uh, thinking to myself, okay, you don't turn down points. Now, just kick the, kick the extra point, be up 13-3 uh, to three at the time, take the points, and then just be done with it. And I just looked at the, at the matchup itself between the Steelers offense, or, I'm sorry, the, the Dallas offense and that offensive line, against the Steelers' defense, and I knew they were going to put up points. And so I didn't want to turn down too many more points if I were the one making the call, but I'm not. So you live and die by it. It's kind of like uh, college basketball teams that live and die by the the three-point play. You know, I mean, the Duke Blue Devils are a perfect example. They're a team that they're going to shoot three-pointers until you can't even think. And if they're on, you're done. And if they're off, well, they're probably going to lose. So, in terms of the two-point conversion, you can draw some comparisons there. Um, 
Lance, it's rough right now being a Steelers fan, uh, wearing the gear around, especially with all those freaking Cowboy fans everywhere. But go ahead and talk to Steeler Nation real quick before uh, before we call it a show. I want to speak to a couple of words that we've heard several times in regards to the Pittsburgh Steelers. We've heard the words discipline, detail, and accountability. Now, I'm one that has a very simple perspective. All things should not be available for public consumption. Now, I'm going to say this. Mike Tomlin's on the clock. Flair is on the clock. Now, I'm not going to say, and by the way, the Steelers are on the clock, too. Because if, anybody, if any of you think this is a Super Bowl caliber football team, I got some swamp land for you. And the reason I say the Steelers are on the clock because we just saw that defense. And the reason why Mike Tomlin is on the clock and his clock is the quickest clock is for the Steelers because this season is going to be over soon. They're probably not going to win a championship. And I'm not saying that the clock is moving extremely fast for either Butler or Tomlin. But it's very troubling. And we can see the product on the field when you hear the words discipline, attention to detail, and accountability, when you hear those phrases and those words, because it all, it all lies on the head coach, and it's all going to hit the head coach. And, that, and that's fine. That's what head coaches get paid a lot of money to take those bullets, and that's what it is. Their name is on it. And we've seen the product. All of that is true. But the most troubling thing for me is, I know, why do I know that Tomlin had a meeting with Ben Roethlisberger talking about those issues? Why is Le'Veon Bell saying that stuff? Some of that stuff has to be kept within the framework of the building. That has to be kept in-house. The problem is his leaders are running their mouth. And now we know some of the business that's going on behind closed doors that we should not know. Some business needs to be kept in-house and internal. It's like, guys, I know out there if you're married, you might have told your wife something, and you hear it from one of her friends two days later, and you're like, well, didn't I tell you not to say that? Look, teams have problems. Teams are disciplined at times, and sometimes they aren't. But the bigger issue is your leaders are running their mouths, going behind closed doors to the press, and telling the press what's going on. And that's the bigger problem. And when accountability, attention to detail, and all that stuff comes up, and you're a coach, you got issues. And there's people that are intimating that the Rooneys won't fire Tomlin because he's a black coach. That could be further from the truth. The Rooneys are businessmen. They want to win football games. It doesn't matter if the Rooney rule has their name on it. And the reason I say that is because in the National Football League, there's been less than 20 black head football coaches. So if anybody thinks a black head coach in the NFL is getting an extra break, hello, there's only there's been less than twenty in the almost what ninety year history of the league. So there is a slow fire burning in Pittsburgh. And they better win some games because <laughs> this could change very soon. And I think they'll get that win this weekend against the Cleveland Browns. If I said it any better myself, folks, um, it's, it's a rough time right now, but the Pittsburgh Steelers have a very winnable game coming up on Sunday, and they have very winnable games coming up after this game. But we need to get this win first. The Steelers have that opportunity when they play the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland this Sunday at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
Um, we thank you for listening, for spending the time, Lance. I thank you for your time. Uh, we hope that you join us next week. Uh, we have to talk about the schedule next week and what it's going to look like. It's going to be the day before Thanksgiving. Uh, the schedule might be adjusted slightly. Um, we hope to have a show, but we're going to talk about that between now and then. Uh, but make sure you check out the other shows on our podcast platform and follow us on iTunes. Just search the standard is the standard. Check out BehindTheSteelCurtain.com for all your Steelers needs. I'm Jeff, and for Lance, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Hello. You're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.